It's an aggressive antibody show for July 1st, 2020. Happy Canada Day, buddy. How's it going? Oh, and it's also an anniversary of the uh, truly, truly one year, uh, that full 52 weeks straight that I have registered this show. So I said about a year ago after the Raptors won the championship after episode 120, I said, you know what? I'm going to record this show every Wednesday and then I'm going to release it every Wednesday as promised. And so far, so far that I could see, I have achieved that goal. Oh, fuck, never mind. I actually skipped uh, 18th because due to the quality check here. So I'm about a couple weeks away. (laughs) But damn it, I was so close. I see July 3rd for episode 120, July 11th, and then I skipped July 18th. I'm trying to remember why I skipped last summer in between there. Maybe because maybe it was a quality check. But anyway, so how's it going, everybody? So, uh, well, I got tested for the coronavirus a third time, and I just got my results. So I, I, I got to say, the results are coming later and later than I expected. So I'm going, what the fuck? And then uh, I'm still negative or not detected at the time of the testing. I mean, and then I have obviously have a false sense of confidence right now. <laughs> confidence? Confidence. <laughs> but, you know, I think it's a good thing that I just go get, swap my own nose for fun um, with the drive-thru and then do that. I think I swapped it, right? You know, I tear it up every time like I saw, show, I see on the stock footages, right? Anyways, and then uh, more and more, I'm just like, you know, we have a week off this week, so I have more time to get to, you know, personal business, like insurance, car insurance coming up, uh, renter's insurance coming up, uh, other paperwork that I didn't get to, you know, remote working at home. You know, I just, it, June has been ridiculously busy, you know, so, and then I'm just exhausted. I like, especially the sun is up. Like I said last week, you don't even know the whole day is going. And then by the time it's over, you're like, oh, fuck, it's 10 o'clock. And then I start like 8 o'clock in the morning. So it's good that I'm sleeping in and shit. Am I going anywhere? Well, other than aimlessly driving, I actually went to go golf for the first time. I record this, you know, at the Belle Isle over here in Detroit. And then um, I haven't hit a golf ball in about a year, you know. So <laughs> I I was so stiff and I wasn't wearing the right clothes because I just had lunch and I went straight to the driving range. And then I said, I, I needed about 250 swings to get my timing and rhythm back in. So I did about 110 today in an hour. So I just go, all right, I, I warmed up halfway there. So after tomorrow, I have a little bit of blister. I'll have to tape my fingers tomorrow. I'll deal with it. I'll, just, I'll be like, you know what, I, I, I'm back in rhythm now. And then I'm going to go every day, you know, as long as I could go, you know, as far as I could go. Because the, the fucking island over here is fucking like full of water again. I'm what I'm 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 fucking observing a global water level rise right in front of my eyes in the Great Lakes over here, the Detroit River and the Belle Isle. So anyways, I'm gonna keep an eye on that. And then it was a bit of an adventure to get to the driving range. But I got there and then I got my workout in and then I'm gonna go back and do it. And it's the first physical activity that I really got into in about four months since this, this uh, pandemic and quarantine started. So it felt awkward. I mean, I, I hit about 30 balls and I'm like gassed. I just go, yeah, it's it's really different trying to do a physical activity because I don't run outside. I don't bike and all that stuff. So it's a little weird feeling humidity and then the heat and trying to, you know, maximize the muscle movement <laughs> that I haven't done in a long, long time. 
You know, it's not like fucking lifting and shit. Uh, speaking of working out and shit. Uh, yeah, whatever happened to the fucking Seattle, the Chaz, the Capitol Hill Autonomous Zone, the CHOP, the Capitol Hill Occupy protests, you know, all that stuff. I heard they are, you know, bringing down the barricades slowly. It's been three weeks. I mean, I didn't know why people were freaking out so much. Again, it's mouth-breathing morons of Fox News and whatever. They're just going, we're going to send the army. All that shit, I just go, you know, if you just wait it out, this is the best solution at this point. Especially with Capitol Hill, you don't know the fucking neighborhood, you know. It's like kind of like Midtown in Detroit, like after you graduate, like you move in there. Because it's like closest and you can bar hop and the night scene is supposedly great. So that's what that is. And then they have a statue of Jimi Hendrix and then it always ha- it's been always a gay friendly neighborhood along with Fremont. Who some people say is also communist because you got a Lenin statue over there. I just go like, you know, it's a it's very artsy neighborhood in the Pacific Northwest. And again, I said Puget Sound and the Northwest has a funny history with the anarchists, who are now I guess called Antifa at this point. I mean, it's not called NWO anymore; it's called the Deep State. You know, terms change, but the concepts happen. So I just go whatever, and then it's like, oh, the Antifa completely took over. I was like, it's not like that either. And then, you know, residents are getting frustrated with these people, too. But I'm just like, well, you're in the Capitol Hill neighborhood. Why are you surprised? And I, yes, I understand that discomfort and business owners are going through this. But I just go, that is a Capitol Hill neighborhood. I am not surprised that it happened in that neighborhood. And then I'm not surprised that they're not really taking drastic action because they don't need to. And then, yeah, there's some multiple shootings and all that happened. But I mean, nature will, you know find its course and figure itself out and speaking of the fucking nature i want to talk about the main article that uh, i read into on new york times do i read the new york times so often no but i don't know how this stumbled upon they have a whole new series in the times of pandemic uh resilience they call it resilience in troubled times so they have a whole slew of articles and sections about it and then you know Basically, the headline for this section is what we can learn during troubled times from history and personal experiences. And then this article by Eileen Zimmerman came out July, uh, June 18th, updated June 21st. And why, why, why? Some people are more resilient than others. And then this is going to be my why series. Why I'm fucking more resilient than you, you, the fucking listener. Yeah, I'm going to pat myself on the fucking back here because (laughs) I think I can talk about this shit because I have absolutely nothing else to really achieve at this point. And I'm going to tap my own fucking horn here. I got my own house. I'm financially independent. I have no other major debt other than the mortgage I'm trying to knock off in the next couple years. I I don't have a particular materialistic desire. You know, I don't have a personal desire of going after somebody something. I'm not clamoring for promotion and all that so much. I'm comfortable. And then the result of this happiness and the settlement that I'm running into is due to my fucking resiliency. I immigrated twice. I went from Korea to Canada, Canada to US. Yes, the first time to Canada, I just follow my dad. <laughs> Every city, I, I have had five different driver's licenses. Ontario, Michigan, Colorado, Washington, and then back to Michigan. And then I did all my taxes on my own, rightfully so. And then I paid my money back to the Ontario government when I declared non-residency. 
yes, I had my parents' support with a school, which I'm fortunate. And then coming from an Asian household, that sounds like a typical story. I'm fortunate and blessed that I don't have a such burden to start off that. I admit that. My parents have been great. But there has been a great amount of sacrifice that went into. We never really had vacation, summer, whatever, getaway and all that shit when we're in Canada. So there's that. And through those difficult times, I learned to, you know, have the stick-to-itiveness. And then, you know, at times I sound like a goddamn awful hater. I'm not a malice hater. I always say, you know what, there's a light at the end of the tunnel. And then I figure this shit out. Every place I go to, I don't know anybody. Even in Korea, I moved to Seoul. I didn't know anybody in Seoul. And then I come to Canada. I didn't know anybody in Canada. We didn't have other family members or distant friends or something. I come to Michigan. I wasn't. I didn't have any other schoolmates to go to school with me. I met my roommate, you know, there. And then we're still the best friends since then. I go to Colorado for my master's. I didn't know anybody in Colorado. I drove with my other buddy at that time. And I figured that shit out. And then in before Colorado, when I was in Berkeley, I didn't know anybody in Berkeley. I was just told that I can take the classes there because I flunked out the first year to make up for the eight credits. And I still, you know, keep in touch with the people in Berkeley. And then I moved to Seattle, Bellevue after that. And I didn't know anybody when I got there. And then I became, I became one of the longer staying person who's not a native over there. And then I come back to Michigan. And then a lot of people have left and then have been far and few around. And then I, I upstart again, you know, you know, and then I get my driver's license back and then do my car insurance and then all that stuff. I uproot a lot. And through that, you know, how do I get through this? Well, I'm fucking resilient. So I'm going to tell you why, why I'm more resilient than fucking you. Instead of reading the entire article, which is a great article, I want you to read it. There's a point, seven bullet points at the end. Uh, it says, uh, how to build resilience. Uh, interviews with large numbers of highly resilient individuals. Well, she didn't fucking talk to me. Those who have experienced a great deal of adversity and have come through it successfully show they share the following characteristics. All right. So I'm going to read out the seven characteristics and then I'll get to my whatever. Shtick. Uh, number one, they have a positive realistic output outlook. They don't dwell on negative information and instead look for opportunities in bleak situations, striving to find positive within the negative. Number two, they have a moral compass. Highly resilient people have a solid sense of what they consider right and wrong, and it tends to guide their decisions. Number three, they have a belief in something greater than themselves. This is often found through religious or spiritual practices. The community support that comes from being a part of a religion also enhances resilience. Number four, they're altruistic. They have a concern for others and a degree of selflessness. They're often dedicated to causes they find meaningful and that give them a sense of purpose. Number five, they accept what they cannot change and focus on focus energy on what they can change. Dr. Southwick says resilient people reappraise a difficult situation and look for meaningful opportunities within it. Number six, they have a mission, a meaning, a purpose. Feeling committed to a meaningful mission in life gives them courage and strength. And lastly, but not leastly, number seven, they have a social support system and they support others. Very few resilient people, said Dr. Southwick, go it alone. So let that digest in a little bit. Uh, I I will say some points here are kind of redundant. Um, so I'm gonna give my simple, you know, instruction 
my adulting of the last fucking 10 years uh, as to how you build a resilience. You ready? It's simpler than the seven. And then I'm going to tell you which are the points to take. Number one, you got to look at the shit objectively. You, it's really you versus the world and the universe. And really, when you look at a situation, a difficult situation, an adversity, they call it, there's really a only at most a handful number of outcomes that are possible, generally. And I always start with what is the happiest path, the absolute best case scenario that you're looking for as the outcome. Because people get in the loss in the weeds of how you get to a outcome, but really that's where the negativity and doubt and all that lack of confidence come in. You gotta look at the shit objectively as what you want. I'm gonna sound like fucking Ryan Gosling in the notebook. What do you want? <laughs> when he yelled at fucking Rachel McAdams, what the fuck do you want, girl? Like, do you want to stay with me? Do you want to be the life partner of life? Or you want a summer fling? What the fuck do you want? It can only go three ways. We can have fun now, say goodbye later, say goodbye now, or stay true to each other the rest of our lives. There are the three possible fucking outcomes. What the fuck do you want? So if you look at the whole fucking the movie Notebook, if you objectively look at it, there are really only three outcomes to this. But really, the end result is two. Either they stay together and become partners or they part their ways at some point. How do you want to do it? Well, that's why you think about it and see what the right and wrongs are. So look at the situation objectively and think of the outcomes, which are very countable on one hand, usually. All the situations. Like people get lost in the weeds once again when they try to think about what kind of combinations and permutations to get to, you know, two or three scenarios. So just think about how you want to get to the end of the tunnel the bestest way possible. And also think about what you shouldn't be surprised to expect when you get to the, the other side, the unhappiest, the worst path outcome. Okay? Uh, you got to be able to have a good set of friends and social and then the family, good relationship with family members. Uh, that's the last point of the social support system. And then this also the third point about, you know, religious being part of a religious community gives them a self self of enhances resilience. In the end, it kind of comes back to, look, you can't do it alone. Like no matter what the situation you're in professionally, personally, like you always have help. You know, even though I brag about fucking, I did this all by myself. I always had a good banker. I had a good, I had a good employer. I had a good boss, good teammates, good partner to help me get to a, you know, put me on the right way to make the right living. And then I have, I don't have bad friends who's leeching off of me or get me down to the path of addiction or something. You know, and that's really important. And then I'm not by myself, just like fucking. Talking to myself, drinking all alone, I've done that, you know. And then instead, it's just like you, you, you have other people to rip off the ideas of. And then those that those that truly stick with you are your true friends. And you need to really be able to vet who your friends are versus who are not. And then you know, talking to your parents or family members, cousins, nephews, nieces, whatever, that's important too. So 
you never do it alone. And then once you start prioritizing some of these outcomes and scenarios and then think about the situation, you know, and then have a person to kind of give you a third, fourth, you know, affirmation or, you know, sort of a concrete objective denial giving it to you, you're, you'll never learn what it's going to take to get to the outcomes that you desire or closest to it. So there's that. So stay objective, stay focused on your goal, and have a great set of a support system that will get you to the right path and then be able to support you when they need you if anything goes you know, south. So those are three main points I would say is essential sets of skills uh, getting to solve, not only solve a problem, but try to build resiliency. And then going through and problem solving, being an engineering background. You know, my mission is generally just like, you know, science, science versus engineering. Engineers take the scientific and mathematical theories and put it into application into something practical use for the greater good of the society, which goes with the selflessness that's what I'm talking about. And then more and more, I, since I started becoming a little more independent and be whatever, comfortable, I guess, I start thinking like, hey, what else can I do? And then I say, hey, I want to dedicate my time to the others, you know? As much as I have achieved the greatness, no, I don't know, it's a greatness, that the whatever I place I'm at in life and my current juncture right now, I said, hey, I wouldn't be here if I, you know, didn't have good support system that I can give to other people. And then I want to support them, too. That's why even the, especially during these times of pandemic, I, I'm willing to sit down and listen. What, what, what the fuck am I going to do? Watch another YouTube video about a fucking conspiracy theory? Like, I'll do that another time. Like, give me, let me see what you're going through. And then uh, let me give you a Dr. Phil view of it. And say, Don't tell your children and you know, all that shit. Uh, moral compass, right and wrong, and sometimes, like, yeah, I, I always say this, like, what's right versus what's wrong, what is, you know, I, to me, it's pretty fucking clear, like, what is the right thing to do, what's the right way to communicate, what's the right thing to do, what's right for the customer, you know, professionally, you're in this, and then, what is the wrong thing to do, what, like, do I really want this, and then, what the, with the outcomes that you have outlined, the what becomes right and wrong become, to me, pretty clear. And people get in the weeds of it, not realizing sometimes they fall in the trap of getting into other scenarios. They get, and then it's not, it's not sometimes the empathy, like, oh, I don't want to hurt this person's feeling that way, try to get to this. I just go, well, like, you're not sticking to the solution here. Like, I sometimes go, like, that's what you think. Like, that's sort of, you think you're being selfless, but you're really being selfish, so you don't want to look like a bad person. But you really need to think about the ultimate outcome and then how to get to that outcome the most efficient way possible. And in my case, yeah, I've been through enough ringer. I never figured this out like 10 years ago or 8 years ago. I wail and fight and cry. I've made enough mistakes, you know to know what the absolute worst scenarios and possible worst outcomes are. Uh, but in the end, if you look at the problem later, you know, in my back in my career and then personal stuff I was going through, I just go, really, the outcomes are fairly straightforward. How you get to the outcome is really up to you. And then that's where the, I, the 
the fifth bullet point of is like you accept what you cannot change and what you can focus on, which is really high, really you, and then how you approach to get to that outcome. Now, the ideal way of getting there sometimes it's uncomfortable, especially when you have a problem. And then, like sometimes you need to state the problem and stick to the problem. I sound like a fucking Republican. It's like stick to the issues. It's not about identity politics. God damn it. Um, <laughs> but I just go when you objectively look at it, and then like. And see, you cannot change other people. You can convince other people to come your way and then open their eyes a little bit and then try to calmly, you know, wade through that scenario. That's what you can manage. And when you think about this whole thing, you know, I'm not religious or spiritual like the third bullet pointed out here, but I know that in the grand scheme of things, like this number of, small amount of outcomes is really infinitesimally small relative to the entire universe. I talked about this in the fucking I'm with Elon episode long time ago. I like really great decisive people know what their place is relative to the universe. I said at that time Steve Jobs said, fuck it, I'll do what I want and say so I want to put a dent on a fucking universe. Then Elon Musk said, we need to go to fucking Mars. <laughs> Jeff Bezos say the same thing. We need to be interplanetary species. You know, they have that mission, but then that's their belief and then have the selflessness of what humanity needs to go. And but they have a high they believe in something greater than themselves, which is the universe and the planet. Then I just go, yeah, I believe when you look at whatever problem all that relative to the universe this is whatever, man, it's so measly. And then I'm not underplaying whatever you know, financial or personal problem that you, you might be going through. But looking at a grand scheme of things, you're in the end, I'm, I'm sorry, I'm brutally honest saying this, but you're nothing but a statistic at the end. And you, at some point, you're going to come to that realization at some point also. It's like me too. Like I'm saying I'm so fucking great, but I'm just, I happen to be another statistic. I'm just another employee I'm just another person who happens to be paying taxes. And then when you put it things in that way, sometimes it becomes easier to approach something that the amount of stress that you will go through when you start looking at it that way as a third eye, bird eye view, it becomes relatively easier um, seeing where the outcome and then the routes to the outcome are. You need to get out of that fucking forest to look down on the fucking entire national park at times. You need to play a, you need to be the fucking eagle and then give the eagle eye. And if you can't do that, you can't put yourself like just imagine yourself watching on a reality television show like you're 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 Khloe Kardashian on keeping up with the Kardashians. And then you just go and then like fucking what's going on with Scott and fucking Courtney or some shit. The outcomes are fairly simple. Either they stick together or they're going to apart. Or they have a kid and they apart, but they still leave apart, live apart each other. It's really two outcomes in the end. The show's point is to keep you watching to see how it gets to the end outcomes anyway. But if you objectively look at that reality show, you need to look at yourself in the reality show lens also and go, God. And then you'll look back later, years down the road, like I've been doing a lot during this pandemic. You know, you kind of go, wasn't so bad. Or like every single argument you get into, it's about nothing. 
And then what was really the problem? You know, you th- you you start you start laughing about it later, or you kind of cringe about it later. But in the end, you become stronger, having a more decisive ability to know how to handle it. And I'll be honest, some people never figure it out. Some people don't have a strong social support system to have call it out for somebody as friends or family members. You know, that's important too. As much as you be willing to objectively look at a situation that you're in, you should be able to call out other people's situation and then get their opinion. And they should be willing to listen. And then you should be willing to listen to their event banter and all that stuff. That's a hard part, but it, everybody's everybody's fighting. Every, like especially times like now, everybody's fucking wailing, and I I get it because of that. Like whatever we're going through this pandemic, I don't have a like nothing really shocks me at this point. I'm not shocked about the numbers coming up in the south, like vaccine getting accelerated. I don't get overly hyped about it either. I already, looking at it historically from other pandemics with the fucking swine flu, apparently there's another swine flu coming. Um, That went about 19 months, you know, until, you know, from like January 2009 to August 2010. And then the 1918 Spanish flu pandemic, they call it from like fucking February 1918 to April 1920. That's about 26 months. So I already kind of came to an acceptance of this whole scenario of the current pandemic cycle. I don't think, I already washed fucking 2021. The earliest that we kind of get back into normalcy at this point, start looking at it, is probably 2022. So I already came to an acceptance of that. And uh, and then I cannot change that. I cannot change the world. I cannot change the time to accelerate any faster. So what the fuck can I do? Stay socially distant. Stay healthy. Keep going. Te- keep getting tested. Stay at home. Minimize movements, and then keep healthy. You know all that stuff. So that's all I'm gonna say for the week. I, I and then I'm I I sound like a Zen motherfucker. I'm not. I'm still angry, motherfucker. <laughs> But you know what? I, I I love having these conversations. Like looking at, you know, objectively looking at it, like when Houston and Florida are going through this, the rise of the coronavirus cases. Every single interview goes, you know, it was a, it's mostly young and healthy people. I just go, fuck. I look at a photo. Objectively, the BMI looks over thirty-two to me. That ain't fucking healthy. <laughs> You're overweight minimum, which means the body needs more fucking oxygen for this fucking virus. Relatively healthy. Relative to what? Your grandma with diabetes? What the fuck? What? Your dad with obese problems? Morbidly obesity? Yeah, relatively health there, but relative to the other health, it's not that great. I can't believe people are afraid to call this out. Oh, hey, you fat shaming. No, I'm calling it what it is. Look at the fucking photo. She's got a double chin. He's got a fucking triple chin. What do you mean relatively healthy? The motherfucker is playing Xbox instead of getting off a fucking couch. And then I call this shit out. And then in the end, I just go, but in the end, we'll figure it out. We'll get through this thing. (laughs) Anyways, that's the way I look at shit. I call out what's right and wrong. And because of that, and then uh, I'm not afraid to call it. I, I, I built enough thick skin. And then I hope other people build it too. And not be afraid to speak up and speak out. I'll say that right now. So anyway, thanks for listening. Oh, God, I went almost half an hour on this thing. Happy Canada Day, everybody. And then happy 4th of July. 
I'm sure enough fireworks are at the thing. So, anyway, thanks for listening, and then uh, we'll check back next week. And then I hope you have a safe, long holiday weekend. Uh, Bastille Day in France, also. And then we'll check back after the Bastille Day. I think it's after the Bastille Day, alright? Uh-huh.